Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com This briefing is from file A56-7W Classified Top Secret Subject is Aikis Comics! Hello lovely people and welcome to yet another episode of Hey Kids Comics. This is episode 21. We're officially of age. Are we? Yes we can drink. Cool. <laughs> I'm, making, I'm taking my advice for that. Well, over here we can drink at 80. Can we? Yeah. It may even be 60. You know, I don't know anymore. Better be 60. Yes. I can get bored. We've had feedback. Oh, have we? Yes, we have indeed. We have had excellent feedback. Excellent. Excellent feedback. Ben Rush. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. That's what we want. Interaction with our lovely listeners. It's like a half assed conversation with ourselves. Yes. It's, it's essentially that's our entire podcast. Yeah. <laughs> half assed, half baked, ill informed, opinionated conversation with two British people who don't know nothing. I think I know a bit. I don't. I know what I don't know. Anyway, Ben Rush has commented on our Blackest Night show in which he says that the Green Lantern Corps was not central in Blackest Night, but does come together in Blackest Night 7 and 8 and explains why the rest of the Corps don't arrive straight away to help Hal and is well worth reading. Is it? Apparently. Hal. He also heartily recommends the Flash Blackest Night issues, of which there were three. And which I only saw the last one in that comic book. Yeah, I was looking in the cheapy bins, yeah. but I didn't see any. I may just get all the graphic novels. Well, You've look, got more money than brains. It looks sexy on my bookshelf. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Yes, we do like feedback from our lovely listeners, don't we? Luke Giaconetti got in touch. Did he? Yes. All right. That's pretty cool as well, isn't it? Hey, Luke. Hi, Luke. Luke, appropriately enough, was commenting on our Return of the Jedi show. Oh, really? Yes, he's never read the adaptation of Return of the Jedi, and now that we've pissed all over it, he doesn't want to. It's a wise choice. <laughs> It's all right. It was worse than the film. And if the he film finds it in the crap. cheapy bins, it's worth picking up. Return of the Jedi is not crap. Return of the Jedi is crap. Return of the Jedi is great, and Luke agrees with me, so therefore you're wrong. It's almost as bad as Superman 4. Uh, no, well, not, not in any way, no. Uh. You are very wrong. Um, anyway, Luke tells us that the reason he thinks that Return of the Jedi was a four issues instead of six issues is because somebody at Marvel made the dopey decision to make it a miniseries, and Marvel's miniseries at that time were all four issues. Which makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? 
Do you want to close that door so we can't actually hear the washing machine all the way through the podcast? There is a podcast that is a washing machine in the back of the cinema. Yes, and nobody's ever commented on that. No. No, it's because nobody listens to this. <laughs> pretty convinced. Yeah. That's twice I've swore this episode. Already? That's shocking, isn't it? We're family friendly. Oh, well, and I'm not letting you drink again. No, I've only had half of a bottle. I'm drinking, however, though. Yes. I've had an entire one and I'm fine. Yes. Okay, Sarah. Absolutely Sarah, shocking. Well, we sing anyway, so no, well done. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Luke. We appreciate your feedback. Continue yes. listening. Feedback makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Feedback makes me feel good. Ow! Was that your Michael Michael Jackson impression? So, that's feedback done. Don't take very long to say. No, sure, I'm getting much. Nobody loves us. Although, have you looked at our hit rate thing this week? Hit rate thing. Yes. Listen, about those seven days. No, 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 forget that. The actual hit rate on the podcast. Oh, the podcast yes. hit rate, right? Canada! Canada! Oh, Canada! Oh, Canada! We have listeners in Canada. We do. Well, we had a listener in Canada who downloaded a few. I don't know whether he's going to listen to this drivel. Well, that's my list done then. Yes. I know uh, a couple in China. Oh, okay. I was very impressed with the China one. Really? I'm very impressed when we get listeners in Afghanistan. Really? Yes. I can only assume that that is soldiers. Because I really do think the Afghanis have more problems at the moment than to listen to this drivel. Oh, those listeners in China, if you have, like, any videos of Pleasant Goat and Big Big Wolf on your computers, (laughs) could you send us some, please? Pleasant Goat and Big Big Wolf. I was in China a while back, and that was all I watched on TV. And it was a really cool show. So if you have any, could you send us some? Did you understand a word of it? No, but it was cool. Pleasant Goat and Big Big Wolf. Um, a children's cartoon only they smoked and hit each other and kicked each other off cliffs so it's not really a children's cartoon then is it? Oh, it is a children's road cartoon Roadrunner used to kick Wiley Coyote off cliffs it was genius <laughs> okay Yes, um, I suppose we should introduce today's show by announcing that we're going to do something a little different for the next few weeks. Previously, we've had some kind of thematic thread running through the episodes, but because I've got a couple of weeks coming up where I'm going to be working late four nights a week, but on the plus side, I get Fridays off. Four nights? Yes. Great. Not late, late, but starting early and going to a bit later than normal. Fair enough. And accumulating enough hours over those four days to have Fridays off. Um, As anyone who does a podcast will tell you, it is the pre- and post-production that takes the time, Mm. isn't it? The recording, by far the most fun part of it, only Mm -hmm. takes an hour and a half. How long does it take us to do notes? Um, Two hours? Maybe three sometimes? I finished just then. Yes. How long does it take us to edit? 
I finished yesterday. <laughs> you finished, so the episode that went up today, which was Blackest Night 3, Michael finished editing last night at 10 o'clock. So there you go. Mm. That's just a little peek behind the curtain. So what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is not do anything really major or big, because we're not just going to have the time. But at the same time, we don't want to miss a week, do we? No. We have built up a loyal following we over have. these past couple of weeks. A loyal cadre of people who obviously know quality entertainment when they don't pay for it. Yes. That, so, and we have nothing else to do on a Thursday. No, there is that. So, we wish to continue putting out episodes every Thursday. Mm. So, what we're going to do, for a short time anyway, until work settles back down, is um, we've decided that Michael and I are just going to pick up one comic each um, and talk about it. It's going to be completely random, except when through chaos we achieve order and through some fluke of nature we end up having a theme, which has not happened today. No, it has not. No, it has not. M- am I going first? You can go first. Yeah. I'll go first. My choice tonight is an issue of Marvel Fanfare from 1982. Okay. Go on. So what was Marvel Fanfare, though? Uh, Marvel Fanfare? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> wow, you're getting professional at this. I am. It's like you've read my notes. I'm really not, though. No, I, I, can, I can believe that. Marvel Fanfare was a remarkable book that was significantly ahead of its time. Okay. It was a bi-monthly book printed on full glossy paper with no ads. And, for the time, was quite an expensive book costing a whopping $1.25. At a time when comics traditionally cost 60 cents. That's good, that, isn't it? It traditionally had two stories per issue, a longer lead feature and a shorter backup. I don't have too many issues of this, but what I do have are pretty damn good. And I got them all from the 50p bins. Good place to go from. I'm quite impressed with that. I think I've got one, two, three, four, six, seven, and then... And one somewhere else down the line and then I've got the Frank Miller Roger Stern Captain America one which was dead good mm-hmm. and the John Byrne Hulk one which was also dead good right. trust me highly entertaining sure. my choice today is issue 7 mainly because it dawned on me when I was out running that we haven't done a Hulk, a Hulk episode so we're going to do a Jeff Loeb one one time we uh, was yes but that's in the future what part of we haven't done a Hulk episode did you not understand? I thought we planned to do one and you said, nah. We didn't, I did not say, nah. We were planning on doing the Red Hulk stuff, weren't we? Which is damn good. Pretty damn good. It is very entertaining stuff, the Jeff yeah. Lubb Red Hulk stuff. But I thought, well, you can't just do one issue of that. Since it's one long thing. Yeah, and you'd end up covering, how many graphic novels were there? Seven? Six? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Covering that run. We'd be, there, we'd be doing that for longer than Blackest Night. But with the... Um, how long it takes to read the issues it won't be that long yeah no but you still gotta no reading them would take two minutes typing up the notes would take you 48 weeks take we may 48 may weeks. do Red Hulk in the future because it is damn good just get me some spider Jerusalem helping tablets and I'll be fine <laughs> and pin your eyes up because <laughs> I do love me some incredible Hulk yeah mainly due to Lou Ferrigno who I don't love Lou Ferrigno who the Hulk TV Hulk Grr. TV Hulk unbelievable TV Hulk yes well, incredible, anyway. You were almost there. Yeah. I just find the TV show so unbelievable. Oh, you're just crap, though, that's why. You Hulk, have no appreciation for quality entertainment. The Hulk's just this big doo-doo beats up bad guys, not a big monster who throws tanks out of aeroplanes. He's bent the gun on a tank once. That's it. That's it. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll give him that then. Bill Bixby makes the Hulk work. I, I can't bend a gun on it. No, you can't, so... Mm. But I'm not the Hulk, though. That's true. 
Issue 7, to get us back on topic, has a cover date of March 1982. I will have been nine years old. And I would have been a glint in your eye. You'd have been a fish in my... Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The cover has the Hulk being pinned out by some big dude that I (laughs) recognised as an X-Men adversary, the Blob, whilst being pushed against by some kind of a force field by someone I didn't immediately recognise, but who turned out to be an X-Men adversary, Eunice the Untouchable. Eunice. Not Anus. (laughs) Or Enus, who was the cop in the Dukes of Hazard. So, brings me on to another question. Who but is Eunus the Untouchable? He's an X-Men villain. That brings me... <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know about him. Fair. I vaguely recall Eunus being in early Stan and Jack Kirby issues of the X-Men. And I know of the Blob. Because I, I quite like the Blob. Yeah. Didn't he get depowered in that Bendis abomination that was House of M? Didn't everyone get depowered in that? When Scarlet said no more mutants. Oh, when she was on a period. Yes, when she was in a bad mood. Yeah. Because Bendis writes her in a bad mood. Oh, let's get started on Bendis. Uh, we should do a Bendis episode. There's some good Bendis stuff. There is. His run on Daredevil was exceptionally good. Could have Could have done with being 40 issues shorter, yeah. but was good. Alias yeah. is very good, yes. This is the first 100 issues of Spy- Ultimate Spider? Yes, we've not read beyond that though, have we? Yes, we have. Have we? Okay. We've we finished all of Ultimate Spider-Man, just not the Ultimate Comics Spider-Man. Well, I'm tempted by Scarlet and Brilliant, his new creator on book. Yeah, and I want to read that. Is it Jinx? I've got Jinx, haven't I? Have you? I've got one of his black and white bounty hunter things that Goldfish, I think I may have, that is very good. And uh, Powers was okay, but I keep meaning to get them in big hardbacks. Didn't you do that one about Hollywood or something? Fortune and Glory yeah. was very good. Okay. Fortune and Glory was very good. Didn't you fun. have them but sold it? No, no, I've still got Fortune and Glory. Oh, okay. Because um, then maybe we could cover Fortune and Glory at some point. Maybe. Because that was very good. Anyway, the cover... I like the cover, but neither of us have a clue who it's by, do we? No. Although, if you have a look yeah. on the wagon that Eunice's force field is repelling away from him, it says Barney and Co. And the artist of the issue was called Joe Barney. So me thinks there is a clue, though. As to who did it. As to who drew the cover, yes. But I still think it looks more Remita junior You think? It does have a Remita-esque flavour to it, but it also has a Kirby flavour to it as well. Yeah. So, yes. Anyway, (laughs) I've really got to stop saying that. The story is called With Friends Like These, and it's written by Stephen Grant, it's pencilled by Joe Burney, and inked by George Freeman. Have you ever heard of any of them before? No. I've heard of Stephen Grant. Stephen Grant's a writer who's probably more famous for his run on The Punisher. I've never heard of Joe Burney. I've never heard of George Freeman. Jim Novak lettered it, Petra Goldberg coloured it, Al Milgram edited it, and Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief. I've heard of Jim Shooter. Yeah, we've all heard of Jim Shooter. I hadn't before the first episode of our podcast. Go back and listen to it. We did Superman's Secret Origin. Origin. Yes. Still makes me shudder, though. What, Secret Origin? Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Johns. Superman. Mm. After what he's just done to us in Flashpoint 1, he can... (laughs) I'll bleep that out. I ain't gonna have no kids. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Just take him outside and smack him around a bit. Uh, anyway, the Hulk is enjoying a dreaded sunny day. So he's going where he's happy. I.e., not the cemetery gate. No? A field in the middle of Colorado. That's where I'd go. 
<laughs> you eventually put them in your nose. <laughs> I dread it's sunny days, so we'll go where it's happy. I dread it's sunny days, so we'll go where we're happy and we'll meet you at the cemetery gate. Keats and Yeats are on my side. Because all love of wild is on mine. <laughs> oh dear me. Morrissey and Mar have nothing to fear. Um, I thought he turned into Bruce Banner when he was happy. Yeah, same. He doesn't seem to be turning into Bruce Banner though, does he? Maybe this was, oh, before he could turn back to Bruce Banner, or maybe he was stuck as the Hulk at this point. I mean, because it does say, this story takes place before events in recent issues of The Incredible Hulk when he was granted Bruce Banner's intelligence. Right. But I don't know. Maybe the intelligence for me came at a price and he couldn't turn back into Bruce. Possibly. Anyway. He's not going to be happy for long as a fleet of fighter jets that look like MiG-21s open fire on our incredible green friend. Who, let's be honest, is merely minding his own business. Mm. He's not doing any wrong though, is he? No. He's walking through a field, he's admiring the scenery, he's soaking up some sun. He's finding a tree big enough for him to go and take a pee behind. Yes. Because, you know, the whole possibly looks like a tree. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Maybe that's why he never lost his pants on the TV show. Maybe. That would have just been too much for an audience to bear. It would have. That big... <laughs> yes, yes, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't be good. Um, and because he's minding his own business, the fighter jets open fire on the poor Hulk. it wouldn't be a superhero comic without fights. It's a bit rough, is that. Hulk throws a tree at them, Yay. speaking of trees, and they mate like a tree and leave. Yay. Back to the Future references. God damn it, Steve. You know I'm a sucker for Back to the Future references. Hulk knows that these planes will lead to more, and thus leaps away. Able to leap tall trees in a single bound. Some 150 miles to the west, however, in a small circus, a scurry-looking clown... Is there any other kind? A funny-looking clown. Yeah. Uh, tells a man in the shadows that they're freaking a sinner, kid, don't pull his weight... And that the other performers want him gone. You need to make him sound like Mr. Uh, was it Jelly? Mr. Jelly yeah. from Psychoville. Yeah. <laughs> the blob, for it is he, doesn't take too kindly to this because the freak in the centre tent is his friend. We quickly find out that the freak in question is Eunice the Untouchable, whose powers are doing the wacky and repelling everything away from him. Only the blob who is an immovable object, can get through the force field and feed Eunice. Eunice is despondent and wants to die. The blob won't hear any of it, and swerves that when they get to New York, they'll force one of those super types to cure him. The Hulk, meantime, lands just outside, and feeling a little peckish, seeks out food. He bypasses a pizza hut, largely because the funny red circles don't look tasty, and instead follows the aroma of hot dogs. The long arm of coincidence reaches out and tweaks our nose as the Hulk heads towards a familiar-looking circus. Hulk stuffs his face with hot dogs, and of course his presence attracts the attention of the circus personnel, who, rather stupidly, attack him. Because it's a superhero coming. Well, yes, there'd be no fun if that didn't happen, would there? This, of course, draws the attention of the Blob, who laughs off the Hulk's best punches. In a remarkable show of creativity and sneakiness, the Hulk plucks the blob from the floor, with the floor still stuck between the blob's toes, throws the blob into the air and punches him directly into Eunice's tent, like hitting a baseball, threw it up the air and smacked him. <laughs> Quality. 
Uh, in a thoroughly hysterical sequence, the blob comes flying back at the Hulk, repelled by Eunice's force field. So the Hulk punches him again, like he's playing baseball. Looks <laughs> fun. It is. Blob ball. Eunice emerges, his force field unchecked, and the blob and Eunice try to crush the Hulk between them. Eunice is surprised that the Hulk can actually push his force field, knocking him over and causing the blob to become off-balanced. So, of course, the Hulk lays a smackdown on the blob yet again. Hulk decides that this place is stupid and decides to bail. However, the blob jumps onto his foot as he leaps off. Eunice follows, his force field repelling everything in his path. The Hulk, meantime, is angry, very, very angry, and punches the blob. The blob gets cocky, and when the Hulk hits him in the stomach, he flexes his muscles, grabbing a hold of the Hulk's fist in the folds of fat. My God, Stanley would be proud of that alliteration, wouldn't he? He then flexes his stomach muscles, thinking the Hulk will be propelled backwards. The Hulk, however, maintains his ground, and it is the blob who is actually flung backwards, his stomach unable to match the raw power of the strongest one there is. The combined might of the Hulk's strength and the blob's own strength puts against him knock the blob out just as Eunice shows up. The Hulk punches out as hard as he can against Eunice's force fields, knocking Eunice back. With both his combatants out cold, the Hulk leaves, proclaiming that being friends didn't help them win. Hulk doesn't need friends. Eunice awakes. His force field is gone, but the blob is in a comatose state. He picks his friend up and takes him away, vowing to take care of him. Unnoticed, a small pebble rolls away from his feet. Ooh. 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 What did you think of that one? Because well, this was my choice completely. You had no idea this issue existed, did you? I was, uh, no, not really. No. Yes. Well, I wasn't much of a reader of Marvel fan, for. Well, since they've only got about six issues. I thought was a thing, though, where it was by fans. No, it's not a, a fanzine. It's by professional people. Right. Yes. Who we've never heard of before. Yes. Well, I'd heard of Stephen Grant. Right. But my thing with Hulk comics is that I'm always ridiculously annoyed by the army and them. And he's just minding his own and then... I was minding my business. Second Smith reference of the episode. Yeah. We're doing good so far. We're going to play Meaty's Murder later. Are we? Yes. Okay then. Uh, but the thing is, just he wasn't doing anything and it's just they came in and bombed him where really they should have just left him alone and then there wouldn't be as much destruction yeah there is I think Peter David made that point at one point didn't he the Hulk just wants to be left alone here's a wacky idea leave him alone makes sense yes that way you don't have a Hulk no you just leave him alone and most of the time he'd just be Bruce Banner wouldn't he Mm -hmm. but also how long does Blob own his own circus I have no clue Marvel fanfare traditionally was out of continuity Okay. So, I don't know if this story fits into any continuity with the Blob and Eunice. Obviously it does with the Hulk, because it mentions it's before he gained intelligence or whatever. Although that footnote really doesn't need to be there. Because reading this story 25-odd years later... Well, there are um, recent issues of the Hulk. Yeah, so that doesn't need to be there, to be honest with you. It's just yeah. an, a Hulk story from somewhere. doesn't matter where. There's no continuity baggage in this story. No. You don't have to have read 400 issues before you read this one and understand it. Every other Marvel story. No, no, no. Blackest Night Boy. They're handling that quite well in Marvel, really. With this whole future foundation. Yeah, you don't have to be reading Fantastic Four, which is good, because I'm dropping Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's dull. 
I've not read this. I only stuck with it when it was like, oh, something may start happening now that they're doing the major doing that they did. But no, it's just boring. I'm not down with that book at all. I don't don't know why everyone forms all over it. Um, The art in this, I thought was lovely and cartoony. Hmm. Um, kind that we don't really see a lot anymore in this era of muddy, over, overly photo-referenced artwork. It's very Ed McGuinness, actually. Just a bit. And I like it an awful lot. Okay, artist boy, what did you think of the art? That first page, though. Yes. He's got a ridiculously big toe. Well, that's just because of the camera angle. I say camera, but you know what I mean. Hmm. If that was a camera, then the angle is that his feet are really right close to the camera, so they are going to look quite huge. So he's walking off balance then? Yeah, perspective-wise, I actually think that works quite well. Okay. But that's just me, I'm not an artist. Uh, Stephen Grant is best known for the Punisher miniseries of 1985, and he wrote Spider-Man for a bit, and he's done some other stuff as well. George Freeman apparently found a digital chameleon. George Freeman? He did. Hello. Digital chameleon. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I'm trying to do an impression of Morgan Freeman. I'm Morgan Freeman. I can't do Morgan Freeman. No. I can't do anything. Digital chameleon. Are they the letters or the colorists? I have no idea. You must have seen the name in comic books. No? Yeah. I've seen hi-fi colour a lot, but not um, digital chameleon. I will have to dig out an issue by digital chameleon. Uh, going back to what you said earlier on, do the military just have carte blanche to attack the whole, wherever he is? Hey, look, the Hulk. Bomb him! Yeah, it's like, does that not seem a bit unfair? He yeah. just seem minding his own business in the middle of nowhere and just bomb him. I mean, did they, did they know he was there? Oh, yes, because it says target sighted. Mm-hmm. So somebody must have grasped him up and said, that Hulk guy that you hunt, I want my $10,000 reward, Mr. McGee. He's in a field. <laughs> Jack McGee's around there somewhere. Uh, we, we were no idea. We, we, we were totally looking for him all along. You did not tell us where he was. Yeah. Um, the second panel on page two is great. Mm. Holt looking sneakily at the aeroplanes just before he throws a plane at them. Um, in fact, the facial expressions in this book are fantastic, as a general rule. They do look Kirby-ish somewhat. See, I don't know what happened to Joe Barney and George Freeman. But I think the, the Hulk's facial expressions in this are brilliant. Mm. There's some really funny stuff. I mean, the bottom of page three, where he's just about to throw the tree. That's a great expression on his face. Mm. Or at least I think so. What do I know? Bendis! With an apostrophe, a speech mark. No, exclamation mark. Well done. Yeah, I knew I'd get there eventually. <laughs> and Mark Miller should be forced to read page four of this book. Is it Miller or Millar? Millar. Millar. Should be forced to read page four of this book where it is quite clearly established that the Hulk aims the tree trunk so as not to kill the pilot. I will repeat that for the hard of thinking. The Hulk aims the tree trunk, Mark Miller and Bendis, so that he does not kill the pilot. The Hulk won't kill because Bruce Banner won't kill. Right. Compare this to all this recent drivel about the Hulk having killed thousands of people, albeit accidentally. That's just rot. I hate that. But, uh, think about it, though. If you're, flying an if you're gonna say realism to me, I'm just gonna smack you about but, the but, head. But, 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 so you're flying a plane, right? Yes, I'm flying a plane. Okay. Can I fly Airwolf? Okay, say you're in the back of a plane and Tom Cruise is flying the aeroplane for you. Oh, you can blow Tom Cruise up. Right, but you're flying, okay. And then suddenly, the Hulk is strong, right? Yes. Strongest one there is. 
this tree trunk at you. Yes. Not only does it knock the plane yes. out of course, yes. it also rips the wing off. Which it does, as you can quite clearly see on page four panel one. And crashing through a tree. No, 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 the guy ejects and the plane goes down. Hull doesn't kill. But 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 they were just like But 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 you sound like a motorboat. A tiny bit over the tree line a minute ago. The Hulk's an exceptionally good aim. They were a bit over the tree no, line and all of a no, sudden he's up here no, in the atmosphere. Don't start quoting realism at me. The Hulk must have killed thousands of people when he goes on his rampage, because realistically, that amount of destruction and nobody getting hurt No! No! The Hulk doesn't <laughs> kill anyone. Bendis. Sorry, but he doesn't. Well, realistically... No! Dude. Hate it. I'm going to go get more beer. Just calm down. <laughs> beer. Um, no, I hate that. I hate Bendis and Miller doing stuff like that. Well, realistically... Realistically, my ass. Realistically, uh, a five-put-ten, seven-pound weakling wouldn't turn into a green monster, would he? So, no. you know, if we're going to do the, we're gonna play the realistic card... Um, when the blob takes Eunice's food on page 7, I swear, when I read this last week, when I was doing the notes for it, I got to page 7, panel 3, and I was asking myself, well, why is the food tray, why is the covering on the food tray, you know those silver things they have covering the food, why is that not flying off? Because of Eunice's power. And you get to the bottom of page 7 and it's bolted yeah. to the tray. <laughs> So the blob has to get the food out of the tray and feed poor Eunice. How does he, Eunice he, take a dump? Maybe he just like bends over and it gets repelled <laughs> and out just of it. Shoots <laughs> off like a rocket. <laughs> oh, quality. Did you not see on the previous page it was bolted though? No, I didn't notice on the previous page. It was only only on the top bottom of page seven I noticed that. But I, I remember thinking that was pretty cool. Um, there's two hysterical panels at the top of page nine were the Hulk with the cheesiest grin since that cat that came from Cheshire when he finds the guy who's selling hot dogs mm. and stuffs his face with him. <laughs> Yum. Hulk likes hot dogs. Mm. He likes beans as well. Does he? Yes. Well, maybe that's why he jumps so high. He's just his fat out. <laughs> He's propelled by the power of his beanie farts. Well, what did you think? I used my muscular legs to get me up. No, I fart. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's not realistic, like all that destruction. Sure, so. <laughs> um, the blob, uh, just laughing at the Hulk's blows at the bottom of page 10, mm. is really cool. And the Hulk's fist just disappearing into his gut. I quite like that. That's, that's jolly nice. Um, page 14... Yeah, the Hulk is really cool railing against the Ur rather than Eunice's force fields because he doesn't know what Eunice's force fields are. So he just thinks that uh, the Ur is attacking Hulk. <laughs> nah, even Ur fights Hulk now. Let Hulk through Ur, which is genius. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. I love that the Hulk's like, the Ur is attacking me. I thought he had Bruce Banner's intelligence. No, the thing at the beginning... How closely did you read this issue, Grant Morrison boy? The story takes place before events in recent issues of the Hulk where he was granted Bruce Banner's intelligence. Oh, okay. This is before that happened, right. obviously. For right. those continuity mavens amongst you. Um, the Hulk's really smart in this story, isn't he? Well, except for the whole fighting Earth thing. Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> Rather than the whole fighting Ur thing. But he's actually quite sneaky. Yeah. And tactical in his fighting. 
Um, I, I quite like that. I mean, one would imagine that you can't be the Hulk and not pick up a few intelligent things along the way about fighting, at the very least. I mean, it's, it's what he's good at, isn't it? Mm. Punching things. So, the bit on the top of page 19 where he punches the blob in the stomach and the blob catches his fist in his stomach and then flexes his muscles out but it's not the Hulk that moves. The blob bounces back. I thought that was great. Yeah. I thought this was a fantastic comic book. I really did. Um, I think it's a great issue of the kind that they just don't want to produce anymore because it's all about writing for the trade. Um, it's told in one issue. Um, I think the relationship between the Blob and Eunice is really quite touching. Um, yeah, it's hysterically funny in places. I laughed out loud at least twice reading this. Yet the humour's never want poking fun or being embarrassed by the trappings of the superior genre. Rather, the funny comes from the situation the characters find themselves in. Um, I love that they include the Hulk's traditional lines, the madder Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets, and Hulk just wants to be left alone, and Hulk is the strongest one there is. It's all in here. And how the love the Hulk finally beats the blob is inspired. I thought it was brilliant. Um, The ending is really bittersweet and quite sad. How the Hulk won... But it's a hollow victory, because he's got no friends, and he's got nowhere to go, and Eunice and Blob, ostensibly the bad guys of the piece, um, have each other, which I thought was quite touching, mm-hmm. and quite sad. Now, I don't know enough about Eunice the Untouchable to be able to say what happened after this, whether his force fields came back, or, as we've mentioned, the Blob was depowered in House of M. Has he been repowered since? So depowered? Does that mean, like, got a huge diet and... Yes. Do you not remember? No. He's, he wasn't the blob anymore, so suddenly he was just this skinny guy with loads of skin hanging off him. Like when you've seen really, 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 really fat people yeah. on TV. You know these diet shows? Mm. And then they lose too much weight too quickly, and they actually have skin hanging off them because they've gone on some fat diet or something yeah. instead of losing weight properly through exercise and eating properly. Yeah. That's what the blob was like. He was just this skinny guy with loads of skin hanging off him. Ah! Well done, Scarlet Witch. So I don't know if he's been re-blobbified. Okay. I have no clue about that. Sounds quite nasty. Because I don't really read the X-Men much anymore. No. No, I can't be done with all of that. I've read Messiah Complex and that's it. Yeah, I think I've read Messiah Complex and that's it. As is tradition with Marvel of the fanfare, there was a second story in this uh, issue um, starring Daredevil called Bless the Beasts and Children. It was written by Bill Mantlow, and the artist was George Freeman, who was the inker of the previous story. I don't know if that was coincidence. Maybe. Or maybe design. Mm. Or maybe this story just happened to be the right amount of pages to fit the issue. Mm. (laughs) Who can tell? Um, The story involves Daredevil saving the life of a blind child who is nearly run over when crossing the road, but it causes his seeing eye dog to escape. Dee Dee hunts all over New York for the dog, but fails miserably, finding the poor creature just as it's put down. Mm. Miserable does not begin to describe it, does it? But he doesn't even find it just as it's about to be put down. He goes into the whatever it is. He finds it, it's it's dead, isn't it? He goes into the kennel and he's like, oh, it's too much. Yeah, Daredevil just wimps out because of the the smell of dog. He turns into Stanley, Susan Storm. (laughs) It's too much. I'm just a girl. Um, Yeah, the end is just miserable. 
Just a bit. It's like bloody hell, Bill. What do you have against seeing eye dogs, dude? Uh, after this, I kind of went into a deep depression. I was in some Depeche Mode. <laughs> and that cheered you up, did it? No. No. Depeche okay. Mode is my depressed music. Yes. It's just like Mum has Duke when she's mad. When she's mad. Uh, well, that was my choice of story. Marvel Fan 7. I heartily endorse finding it in the 50p bins if you go to comic shows. Because as far as I'm aware, this has never been reprinted anywhere. As far as I'm aware, no. Anywhere? Like I say, as far as I know. Um, In addition, because there's no adverts, the front page is Editorial, with editor Al Milgram talking about his beard. Fascinating. And Shooter's page, Jim Shooter wrote a page on the back, where he talks about... um, conducting a workshop for prospective writers where he talks about how writers should write for comics I thought there wasn't a proper way to write I thought writers wrote how they saw fit yes how they best work so I don't know who he's aiming this at anyway I got uh, engrossed that are in reading Jim Shooter's page did you? yes was it that interesting? it was absolutely fascinating Uh, anyway uh, here's a tune I've not decided what it's going to be yet. Um, Sorry, we're just going to have a Smiths episode. <laughs> yes. I'm sure we can find a Smith song that goes with this issue of Marvel fanfare. We should play Cemetery Gates. Yeah. In fact, yes, that's what we're going to do. Here's Cemetery Gates by the Smiths. I dread it's only days, so I'll meet you at the Cemetery Gates. Are on your side. I dread it's sunny days, so I meet you at the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side. Wild, wild is on mine. So we go inside and we gravely read the stones. All those people, all those lives, where are they now? But with the loves and hates and passions just like mine. They were born and then they lived and then they died Seems so unfair, I want to cry You sir, throws the sun down, salutation to the dawn And you claim these words as your own But I've read well and I've heard them said A hundred times, maybe less, maybe more If you must write pros and points or take on loan But there's always someone somewhere With a big nose who knows And trips you up and laughs when you fall Will trip you up and laugh when you fall You say London do dust Words which could only be your own And then produce the text from whence was ripped some dizzy whore, 1804 I dreaded sunny days, so let's go Where we're happy and I meet you at the cemetery gates Oh, Keats and Yates are on your side I dreaded sunny days, so let's go Where we're wanting and I meet you at the cemetery gates Keats and Yates are on your side But you lose, cause we're the love of wild Is on the mind 
know about. Did you like that little Smiths interlude? I do. I like that. I am very fond of the Smiths. That and there's a light that never goes out. There is a light and it never goes out, but we're not going to play that one today. Otherwise, it just becomes a Smiths show. Take me in You do realise that we've actually broke our own rule, though. What? In that we said when we began this that we would put a lot of thought into the music and scores that go on underneath it. Um, And we do! We actually put more effort into that than the actual show. But Cemetery Gate has nothing whatsoever to do with that Hulk story, other than it was a dreaded sunny day, so Hulk's going to go where he's happy. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need much else to go off, though. No, we, we don't need any excuse to play the Smiths, do you? No. Quite frankly. Anyway, what's your choice, young Michael? My choice? Your completely random choice of all the comic books that have ever been published by all the multitude of comic book companies that have been over the years. What did you go for? Did you go for a classic from Carl Charlton Comics? Did you perhaps delve into the archives of Dark Horse? Maybe an IDW book? Even Innovation. Innovation did some great comics. Comic adaptation of Forbidden Planet, that was brilliant. Right. What did you go for? I went for Truth Justin in the American Way. Truth Justin in the American Way was a brilliant comic book. It was, actually. That was excellent, that, wasn't it? Yes. Did you really go for that? No. Oh. What did you go for, then? I went for an issue of Grant Morrison's Animal Man. <laughs> <sighs> Why? Am I not surprised? Well, because well, when we were planning this, I was just reading Grant Morrison's Animal Man. And, and you I never thought, read Animal Man before? Yeah. You were reading it again? As part of my Crisis Marathon. Crisis Marathon? Yeah, I'm reading. Carry on. Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yes. Animal Man? Yeah, but Crisis on Infinite Earths is nothing to do with Grant Morrison. Shush. Okay, we'll tie I'm, in I'm poking holes in your just, argument just, here. I'm just listen, it'll carry on. Then well, zero listen, hour. Yeah, yeah. Zero hour, yeah. Right. Then Grant Morrison's jailer. Yes. And then. One million, presumably? Maybe not. I need to read one million. There's only one jailer storyline which cra- which class uh, ties into the crisis. You stuff. can't not read one million because that ties into All Star Superman. But All Star Superman's out of DC Comics continuity. Ah, but it ties into one million. But it ends with Superman dying. It ties into one million. You read one million and read All-Star Superman. Now tell me, Dad, have you read one million? I have not read one million. <laughs> I am <laughs> aware of this, which is why I want to read one million. It's only because I've told you that, though. What? Don't, don't confuse me with your logic! Right, okay, but anyway, crap. But anyway, after JLA, it's an after identity JLA. crisis. Identity crisis. Infinite crisis. Infinite crisis. And then final crisis. And then final crisis. Mm. Not Batman R.I.P., Oh yeah, maybe I have to read that, and maybe all of these other stuff, and yes. then maybe Seven Soldiers. Seven Soldiers. But since like, we don't own them. No, we don't. They were in the 50p bins last Saturday. Oh, and I skipped 52 as well. Yes, well we're not asked about 52. I want to read 52 again. Okay. So, alright, you've, you've plumped for a Grant Morrison comic book. <sighs> how, how many people are in our audience at this point now you think are going, well, those are shock. Because let's be honest, mine was a completely random choice. I can think of one already. Who? Guess. Chris. No. No. Liz. Yeah. Liz will be not shocked at all. Not shocked at all. That you chose a Grant Morrison comic book. Nope. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. No, I like that you left a gap there for her to say hello back. Wouldn't that be really cool if she did? It would, but... (laughs) 
It may not happen. Alright, and which issue of Animal Man did you choose, young Michael? I went for five. Five, you five. say? Not one. Not, not two. two. Not 25. No. But five. Five. Yeah. Why did you go for issue five? Because it's like my favourite one ever. Ever? Ever. Okay. Well, Animal Man story anyway. Well, I will turn... To the dark side. Yes. I will turn the podium, or microphone, or whatever the hell we call this thing that we record the uh, show on. I'm not sure, but... Okay, stay with me here. Over to I, you. I, I think... I think... A recorder. Is that it? Is that not one of them things you blow on? Put in your mouth and blow. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> That's a recorder. Plus green sleeves. Green sleeves. Yeah. Green, green sleeves is a tune. Is it? Yes. Oh. Uh, recorders are things that those dudes with the goat legs and the horns on the head play. No, they're pe- pan pipes. They're not flutes. Possibly flutes. Right. Okay. okay. Anyway, anyway, Animal Man Five is your story today. Indeed. Indeed it is. The cover, young Michael, is what? Is Animal Man lying. He's an animal. Maybe we should put that in it. We should. Yes. Looking like he's lying dead on the floor anyway. Oh, man. However, the bottom half of it is all black and white and is being painted in by a mysterious hand. Would that not be Brian Bolland who drew the cover? He drew all the covers. He did. The cover is fantastic. I do quite like it. It shows Animal as Road... Animal! It shows Animal Man as Roadkill. But the artist's hand is visible painting him. Conjures up images of the Daffy Duck cartoon Duck Amok. Hmm? A classic Daffy Duck cartoon where he realises he's in a cartoon. Does it? Yes. you never seen Duck Amok? No. Get ye to YouTube, because I'm pretty right. sure it'll be on there, and watch it. Fair enough. It is a classic. I... When I was little, mm-hmm. when I were a lad, we're going to do one of these stories again. Oh, okay. Where we would journey back down memory lane to when I was a child. And I explained to you how life was so much better when we were children. Hmm. Okay. When before we were Thatcher. children. Yes, before Thatcher. Grr. When I was a child. Yes. What they would do on BBC. Mm-hmm. They would show television shows, obviously. But if they showed an American television show. Obviously, on the BBC, it didn't have adverts, did it? No. So an hour-long TV show like Star Trek or Starsky and Hutch or The Dukes of Hazard or Wonder Woman or whatever that was on the BBC would only be 45 to 50 minutes long. Right. And they would fill that gap up with a 10-minute cartoon, normally before the news came on. Right. So Tom and Jerry was always on in that slot, like for 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's when they would show the Daffy Duck cartoons. Okay. Uh, and that's when I first saw Duck Em Up when I was about six. And I thought it was brilliant. Daffy okay. figured out that he's in a cartoon. See, I think some of that is why some of this isn't startlingly what's it to me. Because also, Moonlighting, they used to look at the camera yeah. and address the audience. And so did Magnum. Yeah. And stuff. But anyway, carry on. There's also um, a thing here, the tyres. Yes. Now, the first thing that hit my head was, why are the tyre marks not like two, like a car? But then I realised, it's a cross. It's a cross. And he's been drawn in a very Christ-like, symbolic manner. He is, yes. Yes. Why do you think that is? Why not? <laughs> no, it ties into the end of the story. Yes, it does. Yes. We're, we're, yeah, well, we're not going to ruin that yet. Where he... he d- d- Later. Right. But not yes. yet. No. So, does it all make some kind of sense at the time? It does now, yeah. Excellent. I'm glad I'm here to help you with your understanding of metafiction. Just because I'm slow with these things. Slower than dark. 
tell us what happens in Animal Man 5. A truck drives down Death Valley. Indeed. End of issue. Yes, <laughs> Brian Bendis would make an issue out of that. He would. The truck driving through Death Valley. Yes, but no. In the truck, the driver and his passenger bicker about things. Things. Just things. Okay. Well, he says he's a Christian dude. Yes. Who was saved by God. And yes. that was a cross. Yes. Oh, and he also says that where the passenger's going is not a good place and bad stuff will go down. Yes. Which it does, as we'll see later on. Yes. After a while, they see a silhouette of an upright animal that bears some resemblance to a man. It's Animal Man. No, it's not. No, it's not. But they drive through it. After they pass, the creature slowly heals itself and rises. Back home, a year later, Buddy Baker is clearing the fridge of meat and is becoming a vegetarian. This makes sense, he gets his powers from animals. Or does he? Well, yeah, he does, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. Does he not? No. Oh. I was telling you now, in the back half of um, Morrison's run on this... I have read all of these. Those animal dudes pop say, no, you actually don't get your powers from animals. They're just already there. It's just you kind of have to want to get them instead of... Up, so, so you know, okay. usually, if <laughs> you know, usually if there's like a duck there. Yes. Across the table, there's a and duck. And he would have the power of a duck. He would absorb the power of the duck. What is the power of the duck? To eat but lots say, of bread. If he wanted to fly, and there was no bird nearby, yeah. he couldn't fly. Right. However, turns out his actual power is he just thinks about what animal he wants to be, and he'll get the powers. So, like the size of an elephant guy from the old cartoon I used to watch as a kid. Yeah. Was it the Sentinels? He would say, size of an elephant, and he would become an elephant. Fly like an eagle, and he would become an eagle. Yes. Yes. Exactly like that. Exactly like that. Right. Ellen, his wife, yes. doesn't agree with this, and in a big strop, Buddy takes to the sky. He is a petulant whiner, isn't he? Yeah. But, uh, back in Death Valley, the truck, the truck driver sets up a stick of dynamite in the rocks. He loads a gun and hides behind a rock. To his side sits the coyote. The man takes aim and fires, hitting the coyote dead in the chest, sending him plummeting off the edge of a cliff. As it tries to get up, the driver kicks a boulder off that lands on the creature's head. The creature gets back up, and the driver tries to warn it that there's a bomb next to it. However, it carries on and walks through the tripwire. The man stumbles as he recovers from the explosion, and when he looks up, he sees the coyote limping broken and covered with blood and fire. Oh. The creature, however, ignores the man and meets up with Animal Man, who has just landed at the man's car. The creature unties the rope around its neck and hands Animal Man a piece of paper. It tells the story of a world filled with constant, unnecessary cartoon violence. In this world, there was Crafty the Coyote. One day, he was defeated by his own plan and went to see God. They made a deal. The violence would stop as long as Crafty spent eternity in hell. Which sounds like a good deal to me. He was sent to our world and was ran over. Oh, yeah. is that the end? No, that was the beginning. Oh, right. Because when we see him get run over at the beginning... Oh, yes. That, yes, yeah. Ah, I can see. However, Animal Man cannot read this paper and apologises. Because the writing's all different. Just as he does, the man climbs over a rock and shoots the creature killing it, and falls on the floor weeping. The creature cries as it uh, dies on the floor. The camera then zooms out as a mysterious hand paints the creature's blood. 
It's not real, is it? No. Death for no reason isn't necessarily murder. Not necessarily. No. He's just on his shoe shoe box there a bit, isn't he? Soap box. Shoe box. Maybe his soap box is a shoe box. I don't know. Um, ah, yes. Uh, page one of this illustrious comic book yeah. that you chose to talk about oh, on this good. fine day is the implication on page one, panel eight, that the truck driver's gay. Or am I just reading too much into that? Because that picture of the two of them, I do not wish to cast aspersions onto the homosexual community, but that picture does seem a bit... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't it? Uh, and he himself has a kind of vague Freddie Mercury-esque... Look at that. Yes, time. look to him. However, isn't the dude who's in the picture like a Christian dude and they frown upon such things? Do they? Well, yeah. No, Christians weren't bothered about gay. No, Christians aren't too down with it. Are they not? It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well, fair enough. Maybe you can be both. I don't know. Maybe. Sad, I don't know about that. Page two, I find it quite amusing that the trucker and his hitchhiker are singing Roadrunner by I Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. I did not know what that was. We should have put that in the episode. Well, let's put it in now. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six! Outside. 
six. I'm going to quote Captain Kirk here, but what does Jesus need with money? Yeah, I thought that as well. I mean, he said, what did God need with a starship, but... Same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, do you want to save this poor little blind boy? Oh, okay. Jesus wants your money. Jesus needs your money. That is actually what he says. Just, yeah, Michael's not making that up. Hallelujah. Yeah. Why is the TV on the floor? Praise the Lord. He doesn't actually say that. <laughs> he says hallelujah. I'll give you that. Page uh, seven, Animal Man Jr. Animal Boy? Is that his name? Uh... <coughs> No, I, I don't know what he's called. I can't remember. I can't remember what he's called, but it does. We do know his name, but we've forgotten it. Has a mullet! He does, yeah. He has a very, very, very bad, spiky on the top, long at the back mullet. Party in the, party in the front, business. No, wait. To the way around. In the front, back yeah. in the front. The <laughs> All business up front, party at the back. That's what I meant. Yes. It's still a terrible haircut. It is, yeah. I never had a mullet. I got told I should get one. What? <laughs> Who told you that? Some dude at school. Some dude at school needs his eyes fixing if he thinks a mullet's a good look. Page eight. Um, the dialogue on this page where Buddy's lecturing his missus about becoming a vegetarian. As a reader, I'm getting the distinct impression I'm being preached at. Yes. What do you think? Well... We, we are. Yes. In the, I, in the, I in so. The, Is Grant Morrison a vegetarian? Yes. Uh, I go. will tell you the story here. I know. I, I'm a bit what's it with that. Well, I'm, I'm persecuted just because I'm not a vegetarian. What? I'll tell you the story. Tell here. me the story. He only became a vegetarian to put his money where his mouth is. He was still a meat eater at like... Hit roundabout here. What, why he was, reading, was, why animal he was writing Man Animal Man? That made him join the PETA and become a vegetarian. Oh, right. He says this in the last issue of Animal Man, which stars him. Oh yes it does doesn't it? Where he also says that people did say it was becoming too preacher. Oh right. So it's not just me then? No. Good. Excellent. Well I'm glad he's aware of his criticism. Um, also on this page mm-hmm. why is Animal Man wearing a pair of Daisy Dukes? Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. There should be a law passed <laughs> that only women are allowed to wear Daisy Dukes. The fashion choices of this family leave a lot to be decided. I mean what's that? fluffy shirt suit thing his missus is wearing. Well, you saw the royal wedding, right? Yes. So what, what were the funny the things in that woman's head? And well, stuff? there were some very questionable hats yeah. throughout that entire thing, weren't there? Let's be honest. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the royal weddings in Ascot, where they think they can wear just bad hats. What is it about horse raiding that prompts horse, horse racing that prompts bad hat work? Page 10... Uh, my God, these people are really unfortunate. Is Grant Morrison saying this is all because they killed an animal, an animal accidentally and didn't stop that all these bad things have happened to them? It's, it, maybe. You know, now I know I'm being preached at. Um, page 12. Morrison is really taking the fun out of all those Roadrunner versus Wiley Coyote cartoons. Because <laughs> now it's like, it's all blood and gore. Whereas, you know, Wiley Coyote never bled. He just kind of fell and got back up again. As you do? Yes. I mean, some people... I was I researched this issue an awful lot. Did, did you? Yes. Okay. On the interwebs. And there were some people going really in-depth into it about how subtextually Grant Morrison was commenting on how we use animals for fun. Really? For sport. And, like, I could understand that a bit if he was taking the piss out of, like, horse raiding. Right? Oh, God, I can't say horse racing tonight. <laughs> can I? Which, <laughs> yes... Things may happen to you. At the Grand National, a horse did die because of that. And, yeah. And, yeah. and so, okay... 
but a Wile E. Coyote cartoon is not animals being exploited for our entertainment. No. You know why? It's a cartoon! And therefore, no animals were actually hurt! No. But this <coughs> is my favourite issue because it makes no sense at all and not because of that sub well, I actually, at all. I actually did think it made some kind of sense. Uh, the unseen narrator, mm. which is Grant Morrison, as we would find out in issue, is it 28? 25. 25, seven, something like that. Um, states that the rock contains a fossilised anemone of perfect and microscopic beauty on page 16. Um, um, yeah, a bomb goes off that, that the coyote is killed in, and one of the rocks embeds itself in the bloke who was driving the truck at the beginning um, into the muscle of his groin. And he will never know that the rock contains a fossilised anemone of perfect and microscopic beauty. I love comics where I have to look up words. As not being a petrologist, I had no idea what an anemone was. I found two things. What? Well, I found a couple of things, actually, but two main ones. Either it's a plant of some kind that has been fossilised inside the rock, which seems to be the more likely of the two, Mm -hmm. or he could be talking about sea life as deepnews.com reports that squishy animals like anemones normally decay before fossilisation, so it would be quite rare to find one. So I actually thought that was quite cool. In my research as well, I did find other references to the word anemone. So I seriously doubt he's talking about the song by the Brian James Down Massacre. It's highly unlikely that's going to be fossilised inside of a rock. (laughs) Uh, And I really don't think he's talking about the USS anemone. I don't think that would fit in a rock. Maybe it's a small boat. Or a big rock. <laughs> yeah. Which is now nestled next to his... Co- um, <clears throat> you have to need a big rock to move that in my crotch. Yes. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> On page 18, where the art suddenly becomes cartoony, um, it's a surreal, surrealist flight of fantasy. Uh, and the book suddenly turns into a Chuck Jones cartoon in which we learn the secret of Crafty the Coyote, obviously an analogue for Wile E. Coyote, who dared tick off this creator, in this case presumably the cartoonist, and was banished to the real world to die over and over again in return for his creator making the world a better place. Now, given that his creator was a cartoonist, I took this to mean that those god-awful Tom and Jerry cartoons where suddenly Tom and Jerry were friends rather than antagonists (laughs) and all the fun was drained out of them was Crafty the Coyote's fault. Because I love Tom and Jerry cartoons. I have them on DVD thanks to your Mm mum. I love your mum. She buys me stuff like that and doesn't mock me. But the ones... Well, okay. But the ones where they were suddenly friends, have you seen any of them? I have. Tom and Jerry are friends? I'm sorry, that, that, no. So if Crafty the Coyote is responsible for that, then quite frankly, he gets everything he deserves. If a cartoon coyote has to die for us to get decent cartoons, I don't know about you, Brad Fine. <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm cool with Sammy Rijak, let the coyote live. Yeah, perfectly okay. Page 21 is actually very sad. It is, yeah. I thought. All that Crafty has endured, all those infinite deaths, for naught. 
Animal Man can't read his reason for being, and thus his reason for being has no purpose. Can't read his reason for being. His reason for being, his letter. Oh, his no. reason that he's there. The handwriting. The reason that he's there, he passes it on to Animal Man to explain the story that he's just told us. And Animal Man just and Animal can't, Man can't read, read it. The writing. No, and it's that's just so so quite sad. Um, with the message passed on, though, Crafty is finally allowed to die. And he does. For on page 22, Crafty dies in a very Christ-like pose. And the camera pulls back to reveal that he is still the tool of an unseen creator. And, um, he's, at and he's on a cross. Yeah. That's a crossroads. You see how the cover ties in? He died for his cartoon people's sins. It's either extremely clever or very, very pretentious. Let's go with the first one. Okay. Well, actually, <laughs> uh, I thought that this was a very good issue, by and large. Um, there was a small period of time where I felt perhaps I was going to be preached at for eating meat. But thankfully, he reined this in later on. And the story ended up being a sad mediation of how sometimes life can seem just a little bit pointless. Morrison uses the idea that the comic book characters are having their actions controlled by an unseen, almighty creator as a metaphor for religion invoked by Crafty's Christ-like pose when he dies, and obviously the cover, uh, which was a cross as well. But he doesn't offer an alternative. Um, I hate to invoke the word metatextuality, but was this Morrison's first real attempt at telling a story where the people in the story know they're in a story and yeah. stories within a story and all of that yeah. stuff. Um, now, I don't mind breaking the fourth wall, um, as we mentioned, Moonlight and Magnum PI used to do it. And Clark Kent did it in Superman 2. Did he? Yeah. When he goes back to beat up the bully in the diner right. and he says to the woman behind the bar, I've been working out. And then he looks at the camera and goes, <laughs> like, you know what I mean, audience. You know I'm working out. I'm Superman. This is funny. And then he leaves. So I don't mind that so much. Um, and John Byrne played it for laughs in She-Hulk. But when it becomes too much, you stop caring about the characters because the characters know they're in a story. Therefore, you've no reason to care about them anymore. Meaning they cease to exist. Well, possibly. Um, in this issue, because it's one and done, Morrison leaves the ending ambiguous. And I actually think it's all the better for it. It is. To be honest with you, I and think it's. Uh, I do like the uh, that at the end. Where just the end, the end folks, folks, instead of that's all, folks. Yes. Mm. What did you think of it, Michael? What do I think of this? Yes. Yeah. Well, I did like the credit splash page. Splash bit. Well, the well, coyote has just been resurrected. It, it does look quite creepy. Very creepy. Who drew this? Uh, Chris Truog. Truog. Chaz Truog. Who I've never heard of. And Doug Hazelwood, who's excellent. Did the inking for it. Yes. He worked with Tom Grummet on Superman. Yes. Cool. And I also like page 14, panel 6. Right, what happens on page 14? That one, where it's just lines. Where the coyote just wakes up and doesn't actually look fully formed. He's pretty much just lines and a big white eyes. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is very good. Um, I also liked page 16, panel 5. It's done really well. And um, not only is... So you like the panels where the coyote's been blown to bits. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be the moral because, of this well, tale. Not, not only does it 
show how creepy the coyote is but it also shows how much pain he's actually in because he's like missing a hand and yes like, and missing <laughs> almost an entire arm yeah. quite frankly but like I said this was Morrison's first attempt at the fourth war stuff um, it was the most important issue in Animal Man and Morrison's career arguably because so far Animal Man Morrison came on Animal Man just to do a four-issue miniseries. Yeah, just reviving a, an old dead character, but wasn't it? When yeah. he brought him back, he did this issue, making Animal Man a, a unique series at the time. Well, also, wasn't it remarkable in the sense that this issue was the first one after it should have been the end of the, f- the four-issue miniseries? Yeah. Which was fine, the first four issues. And then after this, it's two issues of standard superhero fur where it crosses over with Invasion. So like, to have this issue in the middle of that yes. is actually quite cool. And it does pay off later on as this, this whole fourth world thing and all that. But um, it was also like the first time we'd ever done this as well, because um, by this, I think... No, he hadn't even gone on to Doom Patrol yet. No, wasn't this his first major American comic book? No, he did this at the same time as Doom Patrol. This ties into Invasion, whereas he started right after Invasion on right. Doom Patrol. Oh, okay. So it was the first time we'd ever done something Well, like Doom this. Patrol was a Vertigo boot, wasn't it? Um, so he wasn't yeah. within the DC universe. But was it Vertigo at the time? It was just DC Comics until then. Mm, yeah, didn't it fold into Vertigo later? I yeah, it won't have been a Vertigo boot at the yeah. After this, Animal Man then went on to find out that it was a comic book, avert another crisis. There's always another crisis. Yes. And then uh, have his entire family killed. Brilliant. Go into the comic book representation of our world. Yes. Is this all this is all Grant Morrison's run, isn't it? Yes. Meet Grant Morrison and then as soon as he leave, meet up with his family again and then bite a horse. Bite a horse. Grant Morrison says the next it's all in control of the writers. When I leave the next writer could go for the obvious and make him become a meat eater again. Mm. So guess what the next writer did? He made him bite a horse. Did he? Yeah. Was that Jamie Delano? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, probably, because your mum doesn't like Jamie Delano's Hellblazer stuff. Hmm. Um, Morrison then went to write Animal Man again in 52. Yeah, but he didn't really focus on him much, did he? Um, I don't know. I don't know who wrote what with 52. I just know there were four writers and they wrote it. Yeah, they wrote bits of it each. I know he wrote the Evil League of Evil bits. (laughs) Evil League of Evil. T.O. Morrow and... What's his face? Who created the Metal Man? <laughs> I quite like the name Tio Mara. <laughs> That's very good. Anyway, I personally think we made two excellent, if slightly unconventional. Well, mine was slightly unconventional. Yours was probably quite predictable. I'll go for an unpredictable one next time. We're doing Action Comics 900 next time. Next time, then. Next time on an all new. Yes, we're going to tackle Action Comics 900, um, mainly because of you. Yes, me. You. Me. Because I didn't want to do it. I didn't think we were ready. Really? Yeah. I think everyone's going to do Action 900. But you... Me. ...want. You think we can offer a different perspective. Maybe. Because we're not American. Maybe. And also, I actually read it. Yeah. And there's a lot more going in that book than just that one story. There is indeed. Yes. But we're not going to tell you what we think about it until next time. That's a cliffhanger ending, isn't it? 
Should have yes. put the Captain Picard's turned into a Borg music, though. Huge on for me. Repetition is funny, first rule of comedy. Repetition is funny. Again, again, I repetition. Love repetition is funny, first rule of comedy. Repetition is funny, first rule of comedy. Repetition is funny, first rule of comedy. See, you're laughing! <laughs> I'm not, I'm holding in the punch. Oh, dear me. Right, well, we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Apart from the bits that aren't all new, like the credits and whatever music we put in. We need to record new credits. Why? Cause I like the six million dollar man theme. Next time it will be our twenty second episode, and which means it's the end of the season. So we'd need new credits for episode twenty three then. We would, yeah. Yes, we could keep the theme tune. We just have to come up with a new monologue. Right. We will ponder that. We will. Yes. There you go. There's another reason to stay tuned. Thanks to all the people who've been in touch via Facebook and email. Uh, all the gubbins on how to get in touch with us is following, and we will return like James Bond, and Michael and Andrew. Oh. We'll, and Thor yes yeah. the mighty Thor will return Andrew and Michael I can't talk Andrew and Michael will return in Action Comics 900 no, well we're not actually in it I'm just going to scribble in that issue you have over there yeah that's fine hey there's me and there's, there's me and you yeah alright we'll see you next week bye bye Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. All music used in the show is copyright by their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this. They do it simply for fun. And because they have too much spare time. Ah. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and nobody else. We can be emailed on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com and our website is www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com You can friend us on Facebook by going to Hey Kids, all one name, comics, all one name. And now it's time to pick up our bottomless brown bag, don an ill-advised polyester shirt and beige bell-bottoms and hitchhike down the loneliest road we can find, all the while trying to find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within. You be good to yourself, my friends. <laughs>